0: Welcome to Show and Hunger, I'm your host Ben. On today's show, I've got an interview with Scythia, um, a band which started off New Zealand and now is international. I'll talk a little bit about that before I get to the interview. But before then, I want to talk briefly about AI and its relationship to music. So a little while ago, I came across an article about AI music, and I contemplated talking about it on my other podcast, Eclecticast. I didn't get a chance to do that, but there was an opportunity to talk about it on this podcast, because what happened subsequently was... Metal Sucks released an article about AI and its relationship with the metal community. A YouTube channel called the Dad Bots have been live streaming a technical death metal uh, music created by artificial intelligence twenty-four-seven for the past month. Now, this has been created because they have a neural network which starts small, and I'm quoting from the article here, studying a few seconds of music at a time before graduating to entire albums and eventually a band's full discography. In this case, the technicians fed their bots a healthy dive arcspire. as fine example of technical death metal as there is. Unquote. It's kind of fascinating because you listen to the music and you can definitely hear that it's arcspire reminiscent technical death metal. It doesn't quite have the same... Resonance as their music if you're interested in that kind of music because it doesn't have that human touch it kind of starts and stops in the kind of way technical death metal does in some circumstances but it doesn't have that human approach this is like hey there's a reason it starts and stops so that, that, that's kind of interesting based on purely aesthetic level where it's interesting where this other article comes in is the legal implications so who owns this music Theoretically, you might say, well, the bots they created the software, and therefore, it's their music. But it's entirely generated based on Arkspire's musical back catalogue. So it's essentially replicating their back catalogue, their intellectual property. Now, I'm sure Arkspire take this in, would take this instead if they know about it and say, you know, it's, it's it's demonstrating something interesting as a project. But let's say someone tried to do this commercially. They fed neural network, the entire works of Cannibal Corpse, and started releasing albums every year or so. Who who does that belong to? And the law doesn't, maybe it it can never account for this, but it certainly doesn't now. And I think it's something which, even though it may seem a bit soon, this kind of technology is going to get better and better, and we really need to start taking account for it now, and begin developing legal frameworks to say, okay, this belongs to this person, that belongs to that person, these circumstances, this person has intellectual property rights. In a broader sort of understanding of this trend, um, I'm not necessarily that worried. I think the human touch is incredibly important, and I think it's going to be very important for a long time to come. But gradually, it represents the ability of technology to develop our artistic products, and that's going to be something really, really interesting to see how it continues into the future. So Lysithia a band which were originally based in New Zealand. Um, the original member, Mike Lamb, released two EPs and an album, and then he invited Mike Wilson, his friend from previous musical projects, to move the band in a more doomier, heavier direction and perform vocals on the album. Then Mike, well, Mike Lamb moved overseas, and Mike Wilson made the entire fourth album on his own. Really, really interesting, and that's part of the reason why it was such a good opportunity to chat with them. So I played two songs in the interview... Away and unearthly burial. This is Mike Lamb and Mike Wilson. So I want to start off at the very beginning, and the, uh, this is really fascinating to me. This whole sort of uh, how the band sort of progressed. but let's let's go back to the beginning. Um, Mike Lamb, you were the yeah, initial yeah. person behind the band. Um. Yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, talk a little bit about what your kind of musical experience was prior to starting Lysithia.
1: Um, Before that, me and Mike um, Mike Wilson, uh, we had a kind of melodic death style band back in like was it two
2: thousand and four? Um, yeah, we would have started about then when we were sort of teenagers. About I was about sort of, I guess. 15 or so and mike's a couple of years older so yeah sort of that was our first meeting musically
1: anyway yeah yeah so we had we had that and we did that for a few years and um then i split off and sort of created another another band and um so that was called undoing the end and then the other band was sort of more sort of like mid-2000s sort of um melodic deathy vaguely metal causey band um out of agony and mike wilson actually ended up joining that eventually too on bass um but it was sort of the local band kind of thing and um, there's not much of a scene uh, in Dunedin for sort of a little more like progressive metal sort of um, that sort of sound so I just started I just basically learned how to record um, at home and stuff bought some gear and um, yeah just started writing I didn't really have any intention like for what I wanted it to sound like I just sort of was just writing whatever sounded natural to me I guess (laughs) Mm, mm. and then that but I couldn't find a vocalist at the time um, that could do what I wanted to do. So they ended up being instrumental albums, um, which I kind of regret in a way because um, I didn't want them to be instrumental. That was just kind of how it panned out.
0: So what was the urge to make progressive style music as opposed to some of the other more melodic death metal that you were working on you know, prior and uh, at the time?
1: I guess um, I just really loved, like I loved a lot of doom, Doom and stuff like that. But also like bands like Novembre and uh, Catatonia and stuff, and I wanted to do some stuff more along the lines of that, maybe mixed up with a bit of kind of post rock and that kind of stuff. So um, I just found that the stuff I was writing just sounded more like that, um, which were my sort of influences at the time. So um, I, yeah, I just went down that road, and then eventually, um, yeah, a bit later, I decided to make it more doom, and that's when I got Mark
0: Wilson on board. So why, why did you choose the name for it?
1: Um, um I I'm a huge space fan and uh a few of my studies at uni were to do with um sort of physics and space and for some reason I just always loved the um the the moon lasithia. I don't know why, I just thought it was a really cool name and uh nobody else had taken it. Turned out there was like a really small Indonesian band that had taken the name, but that's never been a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you released uh, two EPs, an album by yourself. Talk a little bit about those kind of, what you were sort of feeling during those uh, first three releases. Um, I was just sort of, to be
1: honest, I was just sort of writing what came most natural um, to me. And that I guess the style on those releases is sort of what just comes out when I sit down and write um, most naturally, like, I guess I didn't really have any intention. I guess there's some kind of disparate stuff as well. There's sort of like some piano, straight piano songs, and then there's some slightly doomy stuff, some post-rocky stuff. And that's kind of just what I most naturally write. Um, And around that time, like, um, one of my childhood friends, he actually committed suicide, and my auntie died as well. So, like, it was just a really good thing to get lost in and um, just focus on writing music and recording music as opposed to, sort of dealing with other stuff in life, I suppose. So it was a actually a really sort of important thing at that point in my life to sort of get out. So that was good. It was good to have that.
0: And talk about the the change when uh, Mike Wilson comes into the band.
1: Um, so at the very, very start, um, when I was sort of just sitting down to decide what I wanted to do with the band, I'd wanted it to be a kind of more doomy thing, sort of like draconian-y Morning Beloved, Kind of thing, and then then I went down that more post-rocky, um, progressive metal kind of avenue, <laughs> and then I decided that um, I just wanted to go full doom, and um, I think I put a thing up on Facebook saying that I wanted to find a vocalist, and uh, Mike had been living in Wellington, which is um, in the North Island of New Zealand, so he had been living away from me for a few years, and he uh, got in touch with me on Facebook, and. Um, just said, you know, he's never done vocals before, so he wanted to give it a stab. And that sort of got us writing together again, which was really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this was one of the really fascinating things I, I kind of saw about those next uh, two albums. They they weren't necessarily you guys writing together. You kind of wrote your own songs, if I'm sort of reading the credits correctly. Yeah,
2: yeah like Mike and I, I guess from our background playing in bands together when we still are both both still in Dunedin um we're just sort of quite in sync with um our styles and we sort of both know what each other what each of us likes in the song and you know can start here and end in a different direction and we sort of have full confidence in each other's ability to take songs where they need to go so um even though we're in different cities it was quite um I guess we know the trust was there that we can just sort of both compile our own songs um, and that they would fit nicely together as a full album. So um, basically, when I joined the band and um, Mike had actually had a few tracks um, put aside, which ended up becoming the Forgotten Place EP. So that was the last of the instrumental music. Um, We ended up just sort of going in the new direction and we wrote. Um, Secret Fate of All Life from scratch um, as a 2 piece. So we both, yeah, rewrote half the album each um, and recorded all the instruments ourselves before meeting up in Dunedin and um, recording the vocals and mixing it together. So um, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a weird way in some respects to put together a whole full length, but um, it seems to work for us. Yeah.
0: Mm, And Mike Wilson, what was your sort of experience uh, with with Doom, with the sort of slower, heavier music, and and what kind of attracted to you as well that you wanted to join in on this sort of change in the band?
2: Um, Well, I suppose I've I've been a big fan of that style for a long time. Like Mike, um, his influences and mine are very similar, so Bands like you know, Morning Beloved and uh, My Dying Bride, that whole kind of um, just sort of dark death doom style that's been going since the '90s has always been a massive influence on the both of us. And so, I guess when Mike reached out saying that he wanted um, a, a vocalist in the band, um, I just I'd been living like Mike said, I'd been living in Wellington and I'd been playing guitar in a in a local band up there, which is sort of um, you know had ended before this happened. Um, and so I was just really keen to get back into writing music again, and so this just um, was a great opportunity to do that. And, um, yeah, like, yeah, vocals is, uh, you know, it was pretty inexperienced at the time to you know, some extent. I still am, but I was, um, yeah, just really keen to give it a shot and just see what we could come up with after, you know, sort of five or six years of not making music together
0: you know, you, you obviously played bass in the the previous band, you're playing guitar, so, you know, you weren't of wants to, uh, I don't know, do musical instruments. Why did you want to sort of branch out, expand into this sort of new territory of vocals?
2: Um, I suppose it's just um, another challenge, really. I guess um, I'd done, like, very few sort of backing vocals in previous bands when we were playing live, and it was always a bit of fun, so I guess um it's it's just a way to um, yeah progress your sort of I guess musical repertoire in a way and because we're just it's a studio only band it's just a good way that we can um, just push the, the songs in the direction that we want it to go. Um, when you're writing full songs you have a you know a, a good idea of how you want them to end up and so when you're taking, Um, charge of the vocals as well you can just sort of help taper them to what you want to do and hopefully end up with um the result that you want so yeah I don't know I guess it's just another uh, another challenge and it was just going to be interesting to see how it um, panned out in the end and reasonably pleased I mean they're a bit rough at times especially on those earlier albums but um I'm pretty happy with how it turns out and I think they're getting better as I do more of them so yeah
0: so you released uh, that album on in 2014 you released Realms in 2015 um, and then I want to in a in a moment I want to get to the newest album and talk sort of about the change for that one the, the additional change but uh, that, that, I want to sort of dive a little bit deeper on the whole you guys working on half the album do you do you guys have like I know you're kind of trying to make a cohesive product but do you guys feel you have any kind of, within that sort of, uh, I don't know, thing you're trying to choose, do you guys have anything that you feel differentiates you in the way you, I don't know, approach, in the way that particular songs manifest, anything like that?
2: Sorry, do you mean just in the way that we individually approach songs?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You,
2: you
1: go, I, think I,
0: tend to
1: be, I think I tend to be a little more... Um my songs tend to end up a little more melodic and kind of epic. And I guess mics tend to be some of the darker ones, perhaps. I mean, we both have crossovers into each of them, but I think my songs tend to be a little cheesier. <laughs> I guess.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that, man. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it's really hard to sort of pack them out. There's a, a definite difference in style there but it just ties in so nicely that I think um a lot of the time you couldn't really be sure who wrote what um if it wasn't sort of written down but I think you're right Mike I think um I don't know I think yours are a lot more your tracks just seem to be there's a lot more of a um focus on sort of like a I know our music's full of lead guitars and stuff like that, but mics tend to sort of follow that a bit more. Whereas I might have a little bit more space in the songs, maybe. I don't know. Potentially, I, I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs>
1: yeah. I I tend to stack up, I guess, a lot of harmonies and a lot of like busier leads. And yours tend to be quite a lot more on that sort of old school, sort of can, like Candle Massy, like just, you know, rocking out riffs kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Just the kind of like long kind of yeah, elongated kind of legato leads and stuff rather than anything too busy, apart from when you throw a guitar solo, and of course that's, you know, I can't help myself in some
0: tracks. (laughs) Yeah, I think sort of listening to those albums, you know, it's, you'd have to kind of pass it out and go through each track and go, okay, what's Mike doing there? What's the other Mike doing there? But yeah, I think that's kind of, a really good approach in some ways if you can make it work because it kind of gives you that variety that albums sort of need within the kind of area they're trying to trying to work. Um, yeah. So, this next album. So, you, you release uh, Realms in uh, 2015 and then we're sort of on the way to 2019. Talk a little bit about what changes in between then and now and how this album sort of begins.
2: Um, so I suppose the main different, the main change that has happened since realms came out is that Mike Lamb um, moved over to Scotland and um, was it in 2015, might not long after realms came out. Yeah. Yeah. Late 2015. Yeah. So, um, so Mike um, moved over there with his wife who is um, studying, um in scotland and so that just added more distance onto the onto the band i guess and um we've got mike started up uh, another band called sojourner and um the, in 2015 as well which i ended up joining later on that year as the bassist and so um during the time between, and the new album star crossed um, we've put out a couple of albums with sojourner um which has taken up quite a lot of time i guess Um, so uh, probably a big reason for the four year gap is just coordinating the two bands as well as, you know, big life changes, that kind of thing. I moved back from Wellington to Dunedin in 2016 as well. Um, so yeah, we're both in a different place than we were when we made Realms. Um, and yeah, I guess just as, as life's gotten busier, just has changed sort of the, how, how much we can sit down and make, um music you know so i guess that'll explain at least the time frame and between the two albums
1: i guess the biggest difference too <clears throat> is um on starcrossed i mean it's entirely mike wilson because um with so with sojourner sort of um when we did the two albums i sort of was really obviously me and Chloe, my wife we both just write basically everything. So I was really entrenched in that. And Mike sort of had started on new Lysithia. And the intention was always that we were gonna both sort of keep collaborating. But I I just got so busy with the Sojourner stuff that Mike eventually just he just sent me this really, really great collection of songs. So I just suggested that he just, you know, puts the whole album together himself because this the stuff he had given me was like far and away the best Lysithia stuff we'd ever had. So, I mean, this is entirely Wilson on Star Crossed, um, start to finish all the recording, all the songwriting.
0: Mm, mm. That, that, That's really interesting because, you know, obviously you're more than capable of writing the whole album. You'd written half of the previous two albums. But talk a little bit about, I don't know, how you approach, if that, if that differs anyway in how you approach the album, knowing that you're entirely responsible for the writing recording.
2: Um. I suppose it's um, when you think about an album as a whole, you want it to flow from start to finish. And so with the previous two albums, with both of us writing half of them each, we sort of focused a lot on um, sort of we'd have our songs and the track order was really important to see how they flowed as a whole. And they had to tie in with each other. So, if you take Realms, for example, like there's a faster track at the beginning there and um, there's a couple of like slower, kind of more um, brooding, almost like ballad type um, songs in there. So we had to sort of stack up what we'd written and make it fit as an album together. Whereas with Star Cry, I suppose, it's just a matter of you just write what you want to write and sort of I had a, a bit of a direction for the album. And, um, you, yeah, I suppose once you're in the zone and knowing that you're going to be writing more songs um, than just two or three, it's um, I suppose in some respects it's easier because once you're, once you're in the zone, they just kind of keep flowing. And if it's written in the same sort of time frame, they all just, you know, they just tie in together quite nicely and you don't have to worry about it sounding a bit too piecemeal or anything like that. Um, and I guess um, in terms of the recording aspect it was just the songs have been written for quite a long time I think I started writing a couple of the tracks um, not long after we had finished Realms actually a couple of the, of the, the earliest demos stem back to 2015 and so it was just a process of when I had time to sit down and work on them and just sort of refine them a lot more until I had Um, the end product and it just yeah like Mike said um, in that time frame where he was a bit busier with the other band and um, by the time I realized I had you know an album's worth of material it just made sense to to throw it all together and it it sounded like a Lysithia album it didn't sound like it needed to be you know it was always going to be released under the Lysithia name so that's what ended up happening yeah
0: Dive a little bit deeper into how you approach writing, what kind of environments, moods, um yeah, how how you approach that 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 um that that particular task?
2: So I guess a lot of the songs that I wrote, particularly for this album, uh, there might be one sort of um melody or a motif that pops up. It's generally written on guitar, sometimes on, on the keyboard. Um, and uh, if it evokes some sort of atmosphere, I tend to just try and capture that and write some more similar ideas that kind of stretch that out over the course of a song or a full album. So, um, uh, yeah, a lot of the atmospheres and moods of this album, at least each track, sort of stem from one idea. Um, there's just something about... I don't know what happens when we go to write last there. There's just yeah there's something in the sound of I don't know if it's the guitar tones or if it's just um the note um phrasings and uh, you know pairing of notes that kind of thing but it always just evokes this big sort of like cosmic atmosphere and so I guess I try and just run with that and I think yeah the songs just end up building and building and getting more and more sort of and I guess otherworldly is the end of the you know the, the aim for it at the end um, just big, yeah, spacey atmospheres is what I was going for, and I, yeah, I think I achieved that pretty well with this album.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is there any collaboration between you guys during that process? Is there any, like, hey, what do you think of this? Should I do that? Should I do oh, that? Abs-
2: yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, like, the band's definitely still, Mike was very involved with it during the whole writing process, so I'd send him, all the demos for the songs and any tweaks and, um, Mike mix and mastered the whole album once all the demos were done. So he-
1: yeah, what Mike was basically saying was, um, the, yeah, yeah. He, he sends me a lot, he sends me all the demos and stuff, but I mean, to be honest with all the songs that we've done for, um, for the band generally, it's sort of, it's good. Cause you've got the freedom to just do whatever you want. And, um, You know, when you come in with the final song, usually, you know, one or both of us, whoever, you know, if I show Mike a song, he's always like, yeah, that's awesome. Or if he shows me something, it's like, sweet, you know, that's... So we're just, you know, we're just really supportive of each other's styles. And to be honest, there's never been an instance in any of the songs where we've kind of not been happy with it. So it's it's kind of liberating just being able to write whatever you want and know that it's going to, you know, it's going to work. So... So, yeah, Mike, Mike shows me the stuff, but, I mean, I've never said to him, you know, that's not good enough because, I mean, it's never not been good enough. It's always been awesome. We do, were just picking up where you left off, but basically I didn't really say anything you hadn't said, so if you just want to continue from where you were about mix, yeah.
2: All right, yeah, so, um, yeah, like, the demos are all, yeah, we both talk, you know, go over each demo, and, um, yeah, like, I would never release anything that we're not both happy with. And so, yeah, Mike played a massive part in, in with the mix and the master and actually shaping this overall tone of the album at the end. Um, he's we, we mixed the last two together, but Mike's leaps and bounds over me in terms of um, ability. He's gotten so, so good over the last few years at mixing. So, um, yeah, he, he's played a massive role in the overall sound of this album. And, um, yeah, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put anything on the album song-wise or music-wise that Mike's not happy with either. So everything, um, yeah, has to pass through both of us before we end up putting it on the final product.
1: Yeah, yeah, but like I was saying, there's never really been an instance with any of the songs where we haven't liked what the other's written. I mean, it's always just worked out that it's really good, you know?
2: Yeah, we're sort of um, lucky. Going back to what we were saying earlier, we're both on the same page in terms of composition and, and um, the way they tie in together, so we're pretty. Um, it's it's pretty easy going in terms of ideas. Mike will send me a track, and I'll pretty much love everything he sends me, and vice versa. So yeah, we're lucky in that respect. We're just very similarly um, musically minded.
0: So, Michael Wilson, how did you go about recording this album?
2: Ah, uh, so it was all done just at home. Um, so, I've just got a home set up, so I record all the guitars, bass keyboards um just through my computer um the drums are all uh programmed um just because we don't have the ability to set up and have a really get a really good drum sound plus i can't really play drums to save myself so we'd have to um yeah find someone um with the ability with a good setup and um, recording ability to do that for us we'd love to record real drums in the future um but i guess just um time-wise and budget-wise it just hasn't happened out happened so far um but yeah so it's just a basic setup of guitars and um bass keyboards and then I'll record the vocals in in the same space as well um yeah so it's all just done at home by ourselves really yeah
0: that's really interesting because um I've talked to a few bands who record um you know record everything except the drums and the drums have just become, in terms of program, they've just become quite good that you can actually put it on an album and it not be a, a sort of a sore thumb.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think um, the technology has come such a far way. Um, even since we started doing this, and you know, it's only been five years since I, like, since you know, I started writing with Lysithia as well. We've always used um, programmed drums, but um, I think when they're used well um like you say like it's it's almost diff- it's it's really difficult to even pick that they're um not live drums and if they're mixed well i don't i don't really have a problem with them being on an album i know it's a bit of a, a sore spot for some people they they'd write off an album as soon as you, you find out that they that's a drum machine playing but um i think for our purposes it works really really well um Like I said, I'd love to record live drums because I think it would just add a little bit more atmosphere. That sort of, um, just that human touch would be really, really great to have um, on an album. But um, yeah, this works for us in the meantime.
0: And Mike Lamb, how do you approach the mixing and mastering? um, Especially sort of being your own, um, your own sort of special sort of uh, project.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, it was it was easier this time because it's, it's, you know, obviously so much easier to be objective when you're not working on music if you've written yourself. Um, so it was good being able to, you know, work on, you know, I, it was working on Lesithia, but at the same time it was working on something Mike had written and recorded, so I could be objective about the sound and not, you know, trip over, you know, th- just when you've written something, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the fact that you wrote that. So I don't think you're always very objective about that, but, uh, the good thing about Sojourner is that it's done so well that, I mean, you know, compare it for a small band, it's done quite well, which has let me buy a lot of gear that I couldn't have otherwise afforded. So I'm sort of trying to work towards, um, like mixing as a career would be kind of, um, the ideal really. So it's really cool to be able to actually practice doing that on a project that means so much to me. So, um, yeah, I was just kind of tried to do the best I could on it. Um, and I mean, you know, it's like anything, you're always getting better. And I'm a lot better now than I was five years ago. But at the same time, you know, there's even bits of this album I listen to, and I'm like, knowing what I know now compared to six months ago when I mixed it, there there are things I would do differently now. But I mean, that's always going to be the case, you know, with anything. Mm. But it was all mixed and mastered here at my house, um, just at my home studio.
0: Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I think almost the majority of bands I talk to, um, maybe not mastering, sometimes not mixing, but so much of the actual process they just do themselves, um, particularly at home studios. Talk a little bit about how you've sort of gained that experience. For what, what, what? You know, what, what, what are the sources that you've sort of drawn upon?
1: Um, I mean, initially, <clears throat> when <clears throat> when the band sort of formed it was just sort of learning, you know, I bought Cubase 5 and, um, you know, I just, I just taught myself how to do all that stuff. I, I learned, um, yeah, just, just from the ground up, I was just having to work stuff out. and uh, that wasn't, you know, obviously you learn a lot of bad habits doing it that way, but I think the big turning point for me came when there's an online sort of, um, production focused school, uh, called Unstoppable Recording Machine. And it's, um, run by three guys. It's Joey Sturgis, who's um, well known for producing a lot of, uh, he did a lot of that sort of mid 2000s um, death core stuff, which isn't really my bag personally to listen to, but he he's a great, he's a really good producer. And then there's Al Levy, who was in that band, Darth. Um, and he's produced a lot of stuff, including some Black Dahlia murder uh, stuff. I think he worked on Air for Black. And, um, and another guy, Joel Wanasek. And the three of them have this, really in-depth course and they, they have this forum on Facebook a private forum so when you sign up and you um, become a member of that which is like a, a rolling month long thing you're basically connected with producers like um, you know Choi Madsen and Jacob Hansen and just tons of really big producers are part of this group and you can ask them questions and if you've got an issue you can just post in this this Facebook page, private Facebook group and pe- you, know, you just have swaths of people That um, will help you out with any issue. So, like, really quickly, you can improve. So, I mean, that was the big turning point for me. And I just found once I started doing that, and every month, they give you the stems of famous, uh, really, really songs that have done really well. So, like, one, the first month I signed up, they were doing, oh, shit, I can't remember. But they, they have stuff like they give you the stems for, like, the Lamb of God song, Redneck. So, you mix that from scratch. And then they have this, like, nine hour course of Machine, the guy that mixed it sort of he mixes it from scratch so you can see every step of the way what a professional um, mixing engineer does to a song so yeah I mean that has that's taught me more than any amount of uh, forum diving would ever teach me
0: mm, that's really interesting um, get, getting back to some sort of the more album uh, uh, work Mike Wilson uh, how did you approach it conceptually and lyrically
2: Um, so as with any, I've written the lyrics for all three albums that I've been on, um, and um, as always this one, I, I wrote the lyrics once the, the music was complete. So that just allows me to sort of, you just sort of really take in the atmospheres and vibes from the music and just sort of lets you sort out what sort of, theme or um or just you know what how how you want to approach the lyrics. So this time around, like once the album or the music was complete, it just had this sort of big sort of melancholy vibe and um just sort of a feeling of just um solitude. And so I sort of rolled with that for this album and um ended up just yeah, coming up with the concept for this one, which is just sort of you know, just tell us a story about just mortality and love and loss um, and just sort of a, 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 this sort of a narrative. like it's not a particularly like involved story. Line. It's just sort of more of a, a, a feeling thats sort of dragged out throughout the six songs. So yeah, it's, um, the lyrics and concept are always dictated just by the mood of the music.
0: Mm, mm. now across sort of all the work space seems to be kind of a mm-hmm. kind of consistent motif um michael Lambs talked a little bit about why he's attracted to that why you, have you sort of been attracted to that as well michael wilson um
2: i don't know really like it's it's not so much that i have like a, a fascination with space or anything like that it's just it just seems appropriate for our music once the music comes to life. Like, I just every time I we've got a new song, or um, even just down to specific leads, or melodies, or riffs, or just keyboard um, atmospheres in the songs, I'm always just reminded of sort of the cosmos and, you know, just night sky and nebulas and just all that kind of um, space imagery. And, um, I don't know, like, it just it just seems appropriate, really, at the end. Like, we can sort of tie in the space theme in various ways, whether it's, like, in a storyline or just in, 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 like, imagery for the lyrics. But um, I definitely don't have any sort of deep um, fascination um, for on a personal level with space. It just, yeah, it just seems right for the band, really.
0: Well, one thing that sort of... Um... I know, you know, I've, I, I shouldn't say stood out, but well, one thing that kind of, I kind of noted was a way has that kind of, I don't know, that's got a gothic metal, rocky feel that was like, mmm, that reminds me of a certain period of a lot of bands. Comment, I, if yep. you can, on, on sort of that track in particular. Um,
2: that song is, I, I totally get what you mean. It kind of um, reminds of the more kind of upbeat tracks, you know, from like the sort of the the classic like peaceful um, 90s doom death bands like Paradise Lost and sort of that um, mid to late 90s era Catatonia. I definitely get that. And a few people have commented on that um, to me as well, which is really cool because I'm a big fan of all those bands. Um, But I guess it's, it's funny. That song kind of ended up being like my version of like a, i don't know an arena rock song in a way like just with that slight up tempo part and then um the middle section's actually heavily influenced by like i really like um a lot of progressive rock bands so um bands from the 70s like camel and king Crimson and that kind of stuff so that big middle section and um, with the, the clean guitars and like the mellotron keyboards and the big sort of um, guitar solos, that's more influenced by that sort of era of music than anything in the the doom death kind of scene, I would say. So, yeah, it's funny. I, I always just sort of considered that my take on a sort of a hard rock song from the 70s, which is, yeah, obviously it doesn't really sound a lot like that, but I've always gotten that vibe from it.
0: It's sort of interesting what other people kinda pick out when the the sort of track is laid down and complete. Mm joined a label for this release talk a little bit about that process and why you wanted to do that
2: um yeah like once the the album was complete we definitely wanted to release it on a label where um it's been four years since realms and i think we're a lot more comfortable um trying to put our music out there um and just you know sort of we, we want people to hear it because we really like it and we're proud of what we've achieved. So um, having a label, is was always a, a, a good way to help you do that. And I guess our experience with our other band Sojourner has helped us come more comfortable with dealing with labels and we've had really good experiences with that band. And um, mm. our, our previous promotion of our albums like realms is just, it was pretty piss poor. Like we really didn't take it that seriously. And um. There's there was a definite potential if we would tried harder for those last couple of albums to reach a, a wider audience if just yeah you know, we tried harder so um, we yeah we just wanted to um, pair up with a, a label who liked the music and would you know worked well and um, just helped us sort of put it out there um, and. Once the album was complete, we sent it to a couple of, album, uh, a couple of record labels and um, one of them was Rain Without End or Natural Marks Productions. Um, and Rob there, he's a really, really cool dude and he's, he's got a great taste of music. And um, across the, the two labels, Rain Without End sort of the, the more kind of doom and dark music-oriented uh, sub-label of nature marked which more focuses on um like black metal and atmospheric black metal that kind of stuff um he really liked the album and uh, yeah it, it just it just fits really well on that label um and we we're really really happy with um working with him and how the end results come up it's just been a pleasure that nothing was a problem and it was just a really easy process so um and yeah like, it's definitely helped us um sort of get this album out there to a wider audience which has been really cool
1: yeah, I feel like our previous albums, I don't, like, I was never, I think we were never really confident enough that they were sort of where we wanted them to be to the point that we just didn't really approach labels. And we were kind of, I guess, uncertain about the whole process. But with Sojourner, we were on Avantgarde and now were on Napalm and, and seeing what a label can do for you just convinced us that that was probably, this was the right time for us to do that.
0: More generally about the album, why would you pick the title Starcrossed?
2: Um, it just kind of tied in with all the themes of the album and the atmosphere. So there's a definite sort of um, theme of um, of like love lost and um, sort of um, separation between a couple and the album concept. And so that sort of like troubled romance, you know, coupled with um, just the the atmosphere of the of the album and some of the the more kind of like space imagery throughout the album, it just seemed like an appropriate phrase to use that kind of just summed everything that I was going for up really. So, um, yeah.
0: Mm. And what about the artwork? Who did you get to do that? and What was their brief?
1: Anais, um oh god, sorry, I probably mispronounced her name, but we worked with her with and She did a couple of um, t- uh, t-shirt merch designs for us, and she's just fantastic. Like, um, yeah, Anais Malgru Art is her um, Facebook page, but just yeah, you you describe to her what you want, and she nails it every time, and she turns it around so quickly, and she's just got an eye for like picking out what you've asked for. Um, out of a concept so we she was the first person we approached and um yeah we we absolutely loved what came out it's it's a beautiful cover and you really need to see it in conjunction with the booklet artwork as well um she's just done a fantastic job
2: yeah we basically just um we sent her the album and we I, I just wrote like a brief sort of uh overview of the of the album concept, and within a week, she sent us back just a, a sketch idea of what became the front cover. So, and it was just perfect. So, everything in the physical copies of the album, all the artwork, was just the first, um, just you know, that's all. That's what she came back with us to us with initially. Like we didn't ask her to change anything really. It was just perfect. So, and it really captured the vibe of the album so well. So, we're really pleased with it.
0: Hmm. Um. I think I saw you guys mentioning in another interview, like the future of uh, Lysithia and kind of how you might approach uh, 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 the next album. Um, talk a little bit about what the future of Lysithia holds.
2: Um. I think hopefully one day we'll be in the same city again. We haven't lived in the same place since lysithia has been a toe piece, and I think it's been about. Oh, God, I don't know, like probably seven or eight years, I guess, since men like actually lived in the same place. So, yeah, it's been a long time. So, um, we'd love to actually be in the same city and get together and sit down and actually write a, a truly collaborative album. So, one yeah. where we weave our own ideas um, together and we will both perform. Um, on each song, you know, rather than just have it sort of, I do this song, Mike does this song. Um, So, yeah, like, I think it would add, like, a really sort of fresh flavour to it and just give it, it would still sound like Lasithia definitely, but I think it would give, like, a really fresh spin and it would be a really interesting um, process to work um, through, I think, after having sort of running, I guess, solo for so long.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean the only times me and Mike are really in the same place now are uh, when he comes over for like Surgeon shows. So we're not yeah, we haven't been lucky enough to be able able to do that, but um it's it's sort of the end goal is that we will be just every album will be properly collaborative, definitely.
0: Um, I wanna ask you some other sort of questions, um, as well as some sort of more personal questions. Um and I think that sort of uh segues nicely into Sojourner. Talk a little bit about that, Mike Lamb, and uh where where sort of a little bit about the band and, and where it is at the moment.
1: Um we it sort of just started, um actually Emilio so it started as me and um Well, actually it first started with Emilio who is our vocalist contacted, he's contacted me on Facebook one day. He really liked um, the first Les album, uh, the instrumental one, the second one here at the Info Things. And uh, he suggested we work together one day. Um, so we sort of made plans on and off to work together for a couple of years. And um, one day, yeah, I just sat down and wrote one of the songs. And um, and then I asked my wife uh, if she wanted to put some tin whistle on it because we were kind of going for a sort of atmospheric black metal thing. And uh, that, yeah we put that up as a single and um, it just racked up a whole bunch of views on YouTube. And then um, eventually we ended up with getting the interest of avant music an Italian label, a fairly uh, quite a classic Italian label. And um, yeah, then we worked on the first album and as we were working on the first album, I asked Mike if he wanted to do bass and um, yes, yeah, so we put that together. And then that album did really, really well for a small band. Um, and then, yeah, fairly soon after that, I think it was like a couple of years. Uh, I think it was two years. Was it two years or was it one year? I can't. Remember. I honestly can't remember. Now. We <laughs> wrote the second album, "The Shadowed Road," um, and then just after that, we played our first live show. So Mike came over for that, and we played and um, we opened, did the pre-show for North of the Wall in Glasgow, and um, that was a good night. I mean, there were a few technical issues and stuff, so that sucked. But unfortunately, Mike had to go back home and we had to get a stand-in basis, but then we played, you know, a show in Germany, and then, yeah, f- for the last year, shows have just sort of taken off, and, um, we recently signed to Napalm Records, so that was uh, a fairly big step, and, yeah, just a couple of months ago, we got back from a tour with Harakiri for the Sky, and Draconian, who, actually, Draconian are quite, were quite a big influence on uh Lassithia, <laughs> Lassithia. <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of where the band's at now, really.
0: mm that's really exciting. Um, so a couple more sort of personal questions directed towards both of you. Why did you start listening to heavy music and what attracted you to it?
2: You go first. Um, I think um, I was first attracted to heavier music when I first started playing guitar, really. So I started, I started playing guitar when I was 11, so I just started um, at 80 idiot school. So, um their secondary school, and started taking guitar lessons there. And I guess that, in, in conjunction with just songs that I heard on the radio back then, I just, they're just sort of pushing me into the that area with more sort of intricate guitar work. Um, so, stuff like Metallica and Iron Maiden and all those classic metal bands that you know, lots of people start off, and that was definitely my beginning in in sort of heavier music. Um, and I used to just sort of come home from school and just sit in my room and just learn all of these songs on guitar, so all the classic bands. Um, and as that progressed, and I, I got into a lot of like thrash metal. And um, it took a wee while to get into the more sort of extreme genres, I guess. I was probably about 14, 13, 14 or so, so after a few years of playing guitar that I started sort of um, getting into more extreme metal. So it was bands like Opeth and... Um, the Catatonia, early Catatonia uh, those sorts of bands that sort of got me into the I guess you know the harsh vocals and that kind of thing and that just sort of opened up the whole world for, for heavy music really I think I, yeah, I wasn't really into the whole death and black metal thing for those first few years but once I got into it I was hooked and it, it just all sort of steamrolled from there really so yeah I think I've got just playing guitar to thank for getting into heavy music yeah,
1: and I mean mine was fairly similar. I've got an older brother who's um he's about seven years older than me, so I was always sort of getting his um trickle down music. And he was always getting me into stuff like Metallica and um he played guitar and I thought that was pretty cool and I wanted nice. to give it a shot too. And that was that, yeah, like and then after that it was just like Mike said, you know, it's just a sort of slides from one one extreme to the next until you know.
0: What was the original sort of drive to create music rather than either just listen to it or or even play it? What was the drive to kind of create something original?
1: I think part of the attraction is just, I mean, it sounds really shallow but for me it was like you get to a certain point and you're just playing in your room and you you kind of just want to have a band of your own. Um, (laughs) And it sounds pretty shallow, you know, wanting to just do the band thing but it always seems like it's going to be pretty cool and me and Mike got talking and then we started doing it. And then, you know, once you actually have a band of competent musicians, it's just like you really can see, you know, you can see the the appeal and the sort of um, the opportunities in writing stuff that you love and just sort of writing what you want to hear.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, a big part of it is um like personally there's only so long you can sort of just roll with learning other people's songs before you want to take a stab at it and just sort of as you develop more competency on your instruments um, you like yeah you, you do know what you want to hear and sort of it comes down to you creating it in the end so um yeah making a band and um, and joining up with other musicians is just that step to to just sort of make music that you want to hear before anyone else, really. Like, that's what it is about. In the end, you please yourself first, and if other people like it, then that's really, really cool. Um, and there is that element of um, excitement that comes from playing as a band when playing live shows. And we, um, we were playing together at local bars here in Dunedin when I, was, when I was about 16 or so when we started doing that. So as teenagers, that was a really, really exciting time, just getting to play a set of original songs for local musicians and just people, you know, that was a big deal for us back then. And um, we both still really, really like playing live. Um, don't get to do it near as often, well, particularly me living in New Zealand. Um, I haven't yet, yeah, haven't really done much playing live lately, but um, yeah, it's still just something And I don't think you can be honest, it's you're going. Yeah, so the creation of music and that um, that excitement of playing live just to sort of keep feeding the the
0: desire keep it going. So you guys have worked across a number of different projects together. What's what's kind of enabled you to not just play together or or or, or write on a, on the same band, but kind of like there's kind of a really good working relationship between you guys, I feel. What sort of enabled that?
1: I feel like we're just really similar people and neither of us take stuff too seriously, you know? I mean, obviously throughout working together, you have like your little disagreements about stuff. But Me and Mike have been like best friends for a dis- probably 15, 16 years now. And it's just, it's just if you don't take anything too seriously and don't... I guess neither of us have particularly big egos and i feel like that really does help because um not having any sort of ego clashes just means everything's chill and it's kind of sweet as you know so
2: yeah that's the thing like it's just like um just yeah it's, it's right it's writing with a friend basically because we're not trying to prove anything to each other it's just we're both in it for the love of music, and it's it's just cool that we happen to be good friends uh, outside of that, just from having known and sort of worked together um, for so long. So, um, yeah, like that, that's all that comes down to really. It's just very similar um, musically and just good friends, really. So it just makes it easy and a pleasure to do.
1: I feel like our love of sade. Um, we we both share a deep deep love of um. <laughs> Sate. so uh, that has really bonded us.
2: <laughs> it's um, yeah, the uh, the golden nectar of the gods. We've consumed many peanut satays.
1: Um, I mean, it's it's uh, even got thanks in both of the uh, previous album credits.
2: <laughs> Fueled by sate. <laughs> uh,
0: one one final question before I let you guys go: What have you been listening to, reading, or watching lately?
1: Oh, God. Um, You go first. uh, um, uh, Recently, I've been, I actually just reread one of my favorite series. Well, it's not a series. It's like a three-part book. Um, Actually, one of the songs on realms, The Lighthouse, was written about it. It's um, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Rich. They actually made a Netflix movie out of it um, called Annihilation, but uh, they kind of changed it a little bit and butchered it, but the book's really good, but I'm just reading, um, a series by a Chinese author. It's a sci-fi series called, um, I can't remember what the overarching series is called. Cause it's got a different name in Chinese, but it's, um, basically called the dark forest. And it's kind of about like, sort of about communist China and, um, kind of crosses several times. Well, crosses a massive timeline about making contact with this, um, other alien species which is coming to wipe out earth and it's really really good i highly recommend it um listening to oh god just a ton of stuff i've just been sort of diving through all the um 2019 and late 2018 releases recently across um yeah metal mostly and yeah honestly i can't for some reason maybe it's good. well it's one Draw thirty in the blanks. morning but I'm totally blanking on but there's lots of good stuff that's come out this year give me a few minutes wilson do you... <laughs> um
2: yeah like i haven't have had a lot of time to sort of keep up with much um new releases or anything like that but one thing i have come across in the last few weeks is the new album by Illimitable dollar her um Ben Australian, you might know them from Sydney. Really cool, atmospheric death the band.
0: I interviewed their drummer the other week for another one of his projects, and they're on my list to interview. Actually.
2: Oh, very cool, man. Yeah, yeah. That new album's awesome, eh? Like, just I've been listening to that a lot. Um, in the last week or so, just very, very well done. Is that um,
3: the one you see? Moody, atmospheric
2: death Um, so that been listening to a lot of that and other than that i've sort of been revisiting sort of old classics that i haven't listened to in a while like um i've been listening to moon sorrows back catalog a lot they're pretty much my favorite band in the world so i sort of go through sort of a massive listening binge for them sort of every year or so um yeah i'll never get sick of them um but yeah other than that i haven't really been reading or watching a lot of tv just um yeah, a little bit of music here and there, but I'm a bit starved from new music this year, actually.
1: <laughs> I actually just thought, of the, to probably the two albums I've listened to most are the newest, well, it's a little bit old now, but uh, the newest Mournful, Con- the Mournful Congregation album, Incubus of Karma.
3: Yeah,
2: Ooh, yeah.
1: so good. So good. And um, the other one's a bit of a curveball. It's a band called Health, um, and they released an album called Volume 4, Slaves of Fear, recently. And it's like... I don't know how to describe it. It's like kind of like dreamy industrial music. That's just so, it's so beautiful, but it's so heavy as well. I actually saw them live in Glasgow, um, a few weeks ago. And, um, yeah, they're one of the most unique bands I've come across in a while. Um, and I'd really recommend like, even if you're not into that genre, uh, as a metal fan, check out Slaves of Fear because it's a really, really excellent album.
0: That was Unearthly Burial, and before that we heard Away, both by Lysithea from their album Starcross. Thanks to Michael Lamb and Mike Wilson for chatting to me, really really enjoyable to get their perspectives and the, the history of this band and, and this kind of complicated web of how it's developed and progressed. Before I leave you, I'm going to recommend you your movie, because that's actually what I've been spending most of my time over this week I've had off doing, um, as well as actually backing up some of my old files from my radio days, which is kind of in a weird way important to me, although I'll probably never listen to it. But... It's it's one of those things where it just feels nice to have those products, something you've made, something you worked on. Um, it's really rewarding to kind of release them and then have all the artifacts. Like this is how it's made. This is what I did to work through it. I do a very similar thing for all the uh, interviews and uh, recordings I do for this podcast as well. But in terms of the moving I want to recommend it is. Silent Night, Bloody Night. Released in 1972, it's kind of an example of an early proto-slasher movie. It has a lot of the tropes. Um, But it is certainly not an artful movie. Not that necessarily you'd say that slashes in general are very artful, but I feel they have a very basic competence and they have a bit more funding and a bit more understanding of what they're trying to do. This movie certainly doesn't, but it's in that that perhaps it's some of the most interesting stuff because it it features um, menacing phone calls, it features... the by-the-numbers killings that you'd later find in slasher movies, the typical villain with the very slasher motivations. Uh, I I find it very interesting. It's not a great film. There's sections in it which are narrated, sections in it which are supposed to be backstory, and those can be very boring and very uh, just uninteresting. But the movie in general is, I find, historically very interesting. See how some of these early aspects of the movies, which... I guess you would say love, but in a kind of complicated way, how, how they've kind of developed and, and taken form, which is very interesting. So if you're a fan of horror movies or slashes in general, definitely give this one a watch, but more with an eye to what it means rather than how you are entertained by it. You can catch me on social media, OzHunger, that's AUS Hunger. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also send me an email, australianhunger at gmail.com. Any comments, questions, um, and if you're interested in an interview, maybe we can set something up. I'm working on getting an interview out on the weekend. Really, really excited about that one. But until then, bye. Thanks so much for listening.